Welcome to another edition of our educational series. Today we're going to talk to a brilliant financial mind, Assistant Dean of Berkeley's Financial Engineering School. Dr. Kreitzman is here to talk to us about all things higher academia and COVID. Dr. Kreitzman, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Alex, for having me. Should we call you Linda or Dr. Kreitzman? What do you prefer? I prefer Linda. Wonderful. Okay, Linda, how are your students faring in this Zoom post-COVID environment? Well, my students are graduate students. So we, um, you know, obviously they've been faring quite well. Uh, they've learned a great deal. In fact, uh, the professors themselves um, have told me that they saw no difference whatsoever in the final examinations, which by the way, they made much longer, uh, much more complex open book uh, you know, exams. So uh, the results were that the students did extremely well, learned a great deal. That being said, and, and we've been innovative, right? We went, uh, in fact, we, we, you know, via Zoom, uh, these are adults. Um, so it's a different story for K through 12. Uh, that being said, um, there have been some difficulties not being in the classroom. They've been missing the interactions. Teamwork has been a little bit more difficult. But at the end of the day, the students have uh, done exceedingly well uh, during you know, these times. And we're starting, we just started our third term, virtual term. Um, sure, they'd like to see us in person but I would say we've done extremely well under tough circumstances. Uh, but again, these are my students. If you ask me K through 12, it's a different story. Uh, you know, we know that the interaction is extremely important and we also know that there have been inequalities. You know, my students have access to Wi-Fi and a laptop and if they didn't, we at Berkeley would give them one. But again, different story for younger uh, folks. Can your students participate in the classes while still being abroad, or do they have to be in the general area? No, they not everybody has been in the general area. So we have a student in London. We had even a couple of students in China, one in Russia. They made it recently to Berkeley. But yes, they have participated. And we've been also accommodating them in terms of final examinations. If it was 2 a.m. in China, we made sure that we gave the final exam to, um, to a student at a different time. At the same time, you know, this is Berkeley. You are one of the most elite institutions on the planet. So you're generally dealing with the best of the best. But, you know, you know obviously a lot of schools aren't going to have the same, you know, students with the capabilities that you're going to, to see. So speaking of, you know, kind of drawbacks, what are the biggest drawbacks you've seen? Look, I think that when you learn, you cannot learn alone all the time. Mm -hmm. How can you keep uh, a student's attention? And I have to tell you, we, us, worked also on making sure that we kept our students' attention. Uh, I mean, I teach in the program as well, and I um, help them also, you know, work with their, you know, I work with them on their resumes, um, preparing them for interviews, virtual interviews, etc. So I had to make it as interactive as I could, asking them directly, you know, answer this question, unmute, as opposed to just using the chat box, you know, to, to answer questions. Uh, professors had quizzes uh, to, to wake up the students. So uh, we've been using humor, everything. 
but, but you're right. How can you do that for the younger students? And, and you see the difference between those who have <laughs> and those who are not wealthy, uh, big difference. Uh, families got together and uh, created mini schools for their children. And my advice to my friends with kids, you know, in fifth grade or third grade is use the Khan Academy, use, you know, make sure that your child reads, does math, and uh, but how can you keep a kid, you know, sitting at a desk in front of a, you know, laptop for four or five hours straight? So, and that can, you know, and with difficulty. But. Yeah, no, you know, with a younger age gets less of an ability for, you know, focused attention span, you know. And another drawback of COVID is it really has furthered the wealth divide and, you know, the, the haves have more and the have-nots have even less, which has been quite a sad effect from this awful pandemic. You know, this is, I hope that we're going to fix this as soon as possible. And uh, that yes, we'll have a vaccine and be able to go back to yes. the campus. Yeah, Linda, one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on today is that the Berkeley students that I've worked with at my think tank have been so excited about the passion you have brought to Berkeley and to the students. Many of them credit your love of the school, Berkeley itself, with so much of the energy and so much of what makes Berkeley's financial engineering program so unique. And you've you know, created some of the most impressive quants on Wall Street. In fact, one of our, our previous guests last month, uh, Peng Chang, who runs Machine Learning Strategies, spoke so highly of you. I said, I, I'm so excited to speak to Linda. She sounds just amazing. And then, you know, when I was speaking with one of your current students you know, yesterday and seeing such a a wonderful letter he wrote about you. I said, oh, I'm so excited to speak to Linda. What a, what a treasure of information. So speaking of Berkeley, what do you see as the future now? Is, is there going to be a, maybe a multiple offering going forward? How do you see you know, the online world of Berkeley post-COVID? Look, I think that, in fact, for us, um, we're interested in launching a part-time program. So a combination of hybrid um, system in here. You're going to have the students can attend in person and will attend in person and at the same time some uh, courses virtually. Um, so I, I don't think we're going to have a hundred percent virtual uh, program. Uh, maybe, well we do have some as you know, uh, there are Georgia Tech has a lot of uh, you know programs in data science and but ultimately the the you know the uh, the interaction again and and group work and teamwork um, contribute to the learning experience. So is the future a hundred percent you know in in the house in your home? And I don't think so. We know we hear from the students. We see their anxiety about you know uh, being just at home. They want to come back to campus. So, but I think you'll have a, a hybrid. Uh, system and uh, but but for our program it's going to be on campus 100% the full-time program as soon as possible. I agree with your point on teamwork in fact I uh, had the privilege of taking a walk with uh, Dick Parsons the former CEO of Time Warner and I, I said you know Mr. Parsons you know I've looked up my whole life I, I must know what you know has been any secret to your trade to your success what would you credit and he said Alex I would say that my ability for teamwork has been the reason I have been continually able to move forward in life. I never treated any teammate below myself and I worked very hard to make sure everyone I worked with 
felt that I appreciated them and their efforts. And I think teamwork's you know, endlessly important. I agree. This is, as part of the program, 95% of the homework is actually team-based. Well. So it is critical. But what our students have been able to do is that they quarantine the cluster of them by clusters. They've been quarantining together and working together. So we've been able to have, you know, teamwork also via Slack and, and Zoom. But, you know, you learn a lot more when you are part of a team. So I think this is for me the saddest part. But, you know, they're going to go on their internship and then they'll be back in uh, January. Uh, and I hope that we will see them in, in person. It's just amazing to wonder what would have happened had this pandemic occurred in the late 90s or 2005 when we didn't have Zoom and we didn't have this type of communication. You know, so much of education would have really just had to grind to a halt. Absolutely. It would have been a disaster. And it is a disaster for a lot of people. Oh, yeah. At the time. Um, you know, I work, uh, I am trying to, to get a lot of laptops and, and help um, in uh, our canal in San Rafael, where you have a large uh, number of families without the means to provide the laptops. So I've been doing this for some kids, but, you know, you give two laptops and you have hundreds to give. So it's a vicious circle. Um, and, uh, but, you know, again, I advise families to keep up with the reading uh, and, and the math uh, and, and trying to do uh, some work. And, and I think schools have been distributing also homework pages and, but how tough it is. Oh. Yeah. You, I wonder, would Berkeley ever offer an online specific uh, class maybe per country, uh, taught in Chinese to Chinese citizens, so that the Chinese citizens would not have to come to the US? Or is that something that's far down the road you couldn't ponder? Well, I don't think we would do it in Chinese, right? We would do it in English. Okay. Do we teach some courses? In fact, I am working with the uh, Berkeley Executive Education, and uh, we are delivering a program which will we start remotely with University of Shanghai. And it's just a, a series of uh, courses that uh, you know, they want a certificate in financial engineering, we'll be delivering a few courses. We will do that uh, remotely, uh, but this is a program that, we go, that we're gonna do in you know, four years, so we will end up being in China at one point in time. Yeah, yeah. No, executive education is so important. I have uh, taken part in Yale's executive education as a teacher, uh, and I have really enjoyed it. It's been uh, tremendously rewarding, you know, especially when you're dealing with uh, students who are 40 to 55 years old. There's something almost extra challenging about that. And, you know, and watching, watching their curiosity, you know, compared to a, you know, because adults can still have the same curiosity that a, a younger student can have. And so it can really be quite rewarding. So I, I personally, I think all education is rewarding. The mm -hmm. only thing I dislike in education is a student that does not care. That's the most painful thing for me. I, I don't care about IQ. I just care about effort and passion and the desire to learn. If the desire, if the desire to learn is there, you know, uh, we'll have a fantastic experience. And it's just all a question of, you know, do you want to learn? You know, for the students who want to learn, it's you know, educating is just the most wonderful experience. After life-saving, it's as rewarding as anything can be, you know. Uh, but, well, I must have been privileged then uh, in my life. I've never met a student who did not want to learn. <laughs> you know, I, I'm surrounded by brilliant folks. 
Uh, and it's, uh, it, you know, people ask me all the time, how could you stay for 20 years at Berkeley? Yeah. Uh, aren't you bored? Uh, no, I'm not because I've been able to be creative. I've worked very successfully with the previous, you know, with the deans, uh, certainly Laura Tyson, um, you know, Rich Lyons and the current dean now, Anne Harrison and the faculty, right? So when you are creative, when you look at what the industry uh, demands in terms of skill set and you follow that, and I have to tell you, Wall Street was very good to me because they helped me. And, you know, Alex, you're one of uh, those who are helping us. You're providing industry projects to our students. You're giving back to us. And the industry has given tremendously, you know, back to us in terms of hiring our students. But we also are producing top-notch students who are not just good at, you know, number crunching, but also, you know, statistics, big data, Python, have a market intuition, economics, you know, all of that. We've packaged that. And um, so, you know, again, I think it is up to me also as an educator and, and all of us to spur this desire to learn. Yeah, I, I think also something that, you know, is a reason for why you have stood out as a, a, an important figure in education, Linda, is that you have a true love of education, a true love of teaching. And when you find in life that which you're passionate about, and you know you can you know kind of take your mechanism and have your brain and your passions aligned that's when the output is really the most beautiful thing and you know for me you know teaching i love it and i love interacting with these brilliant students and i love hearing their ideas and i learn from them so for me it's very selfish i i teach because it's what i want to do i i don't have a lot of things i love to do in life i love spending time with my daughter my wife and I love to research and teach. And so beyond that, you know, maybe some distance running here and there, I, I, I feel bad. I guess I, I'm lame in that I'm, I'm quite, uh, you know, I, I do love French art though, Fragon Art and Watteau. I think, uh, <laughs> I think your country has produced some of the most uh, magnificent art. Um, you know, actually, actually I, I, I have a, I'm a triple major from Amherst College and one of my degrees is in art history. So I have an absolute love for painting. I think so much of history is, told throughout uh, the works of art and it's kind of it's a beautiful way to understand the evolution of man uh, if you will you know it's, it's, it's if you look at my screen i'm passionate about japanese art and this is a japanese screen from the imari uh, period um so i love everything that is you know art not just french art but also you know japanese art well, Japan is a very interesting culture. I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm semi-obsessed with uh, Japan. I think it's just really remarkable. You know, the, the family attention, the, you know, the love of hard work. It, it's really, it's a fantastic culture. And, you know, Kyoto is one of the most beautiful, beautiful places on, on the planet. Um, but, uh, you know, Japan was a country that, you know, in 1945, when they had two nuclear bombs dropped on them, were devastated to an extent that one could never imagine. It's so awful. Yet the country has grown and blossomed into just such a fantastic powerhouse. How do you feel about education as a whole post-COVID? Is education going to be stronger post-COVID or do you think education will survive? I think it's gonna get stronger. We have to make it stronger, right? We just, uh, all of us, and, but I think it's, we are realizing now the differences, you know, among schools and, and how technology has to be used 
um, you know, it has to be more prevalent, right? It, it, it's, it, it's not just for those who can afford it. Um, so I, I think we are, we are learning now, and, and, but, but I think it's going to grow. I, I don't think it has, yes, it has hampered, it, it's been reduced. Uh, you know, students haven't been in the classroom. How are parents able to help their kids? Because a kid cannot help, you know, himself or herself, you know, alone. Um, so I, I hope that we're going to be able to compensate for this, you know, months of loss. Um, you know, I'm a very optimistic person. I, I think that when you look at uh, grade five, for instance, you're in fifth grade and you move on to sixth grade, the first few months, most of the times, it's a repetition a little bit about what you've done, you know, the, trim the, uh, the last uh, semester before, you know, the vacation. Uh, I've seen that. So it's my hope that we're going to uh, innovate. And I think it's up to the teachers to do that. And, and of course, if the parents can help, it's, it's wonderful. Um, that's probably what's going to be my, my next life, you know, K through 12. How can I help? You know, I'm, I'm helping people who are very ambitious. They know what they want. Um, you know, it's been a wonderful journey, but what about helping also K through 12 where it's um, critical to lead uh, young people? You know, I listen to my friends and often they think, oh, we're just going to do applications to get them in college. And then they'll know what they will be able to do. I don't think it's enough. I think that an 18-year-old needs help, just like what a five-year-old needs help. You really need to have mentors in your life, and it makes a huge difference. Now, at Rebellion, we have about 110 PhD to undergrad researchers, and I make it clear to each one of them that I'm very much here to be your mentor and to help you, know, you figure out what you want. And when I see that I've helped a student find themselves and realize what they want to be, that is the most rewarding thing. Seeing, seeing a student follow their passions, follow their dreams, and find happiness. Because at the end of the day, it's really just about finding happiness. And when you find the trade that fulfills you and makes you feel whole inside, you know, that, that's, that's the goal there. So, and that's what everyone says about you, Linda. And that's what all of the students have told me so far about you, that your passion, your love for the students and their futures is just remarkable. You know, I, I think that my role is to help them be happy. Now, I always tell the students, look, I, I don't know if I can make you happy in your own life, but I am going to contribute to one thing which would perhaps unlock some of this happiness. And it's to give them the skills to feel so comfortable with what they know and how they can apply it. You know, if you're fulfilled in your job, you can also, <laughs> you know, it's going to spill over other things as well, but we can also say if you're happy in your life, it's going to spill over also your work. Everything is interconnected in here. Uh, but an educator again and, and faculty and, and administrators have to uh, really understand that it's in, in instilling, you know, the, the, the need and the, the want to learn uh, and at the same time to help develop, you know, that growth. Um, and I think you mature your thoughts when you know more. The more you know, the better off you're going to be ultimately. It's so simple, but it works. Oh, it's true. You know, at the age of 40 now, I have more of a desire to learn than I've ever had in my whole life. And at the same time, I feel like I know less than I ever have. And so, it's almost this kind of desperate, 
you know, searching for more and more knowledge, like Jack at the end of Titanic, looking for something to put roads on. I'm just searching to, to learn about this method and that method. And then I hear about a new method of machine learning. And then I'm up all night on a Saturday trying to learn about it because I don't know about it. And so I, I've got, you know, this kind of growing fear inside of me, which pushes me to have to learn. It's also why I love to teach because I, I learn from so many of these students who have ideas and, you know, new methods that I wouldn't have considered. So we're at the end of our program. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. You were just an awesome guest. I, <laughs> I couldn't have enjoyed our talk uh, anymore. Uh, merci beaucoup. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, well, we'll have a wonderful <laughs> afternoon and uh, stay safe, Linda. Okay. Thank you, Alex. Bye-bye. Uh, pleasure, pleasure was all.